When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers called me Padre, and they asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and all sorts of subjects. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take your questions and answer them with stories and events from Holy Scripture and the lives of the saints and a number of other sources. We are diverting a little bit from that format in this episode of the Dear Padre podcast. We are on episode five of Post-Traumatic God, or the Post-Traumatic Godcast, or whatever you want to call it, exploring my book, 2016 book, Post-Traumatic God, and some of the nuances and updates from when it was written and some of the reflections that I've been reflecting on since I wrote it uh, low these many years ago. So thanks for joining us. If you want to catch up from the beginning, you can go back to not to the first uh, Dear Padre, but to the first Post Traumatic God podcast and go from there. I'm trying a new microphone today, so let me know if it sounds better. I know this is a primitive podcast compared to the others that you listen to, and I don't have a good solution for that other than investing in a lot of fancy equipment. And from my ads from my other podcast, I've been selling ads there for the last uh, couple months. I have earned 14 cents from my podcasting, and so you're stuck with this kind of sound quality for now. Pardon that primitiveness, but let's go into our podcast of Post-Traumatic God. Early Church Fathers and the Shattering Effects of War Homicide and war is not reckoned by our fathers as homicide. However, Perhaps it is well to counsel that those whose hands are not clean only abstain from communion for three years. St. Basil the Great. Like the authors of the New Testament, many of the early church fathers lived during the Pax Romana, but the relative security of the Roman world did not make the early church immune from persecution. And what Eusebius, who lived 263 to 339 A.D., an early historian of the church called, quote, the destruction of the churches. The cruel Roman emperor Diocletian instigated one such persecution, and the church went underground to avoid further bloodshed. While describing this persecution, Eusebius quotes Lamentations 2, 1 through 2, to indicate this persecution was the deserved judgment of God for the sloth and dissension in the churches. The passage from Lamentations describes how Yahweh destroyed the fortresses of Jerusalem and used his sword to deal out destruction and judgment. Eusebius goes on to describe in detail the martyrs who heroically endured the deserved persecution. After the accounts of the martyrs, in chapter 16 of book 8, Eusebius points out the change of affairs for the better. The division and sloth he pointed out in the churches were cured and eliminated. The church that emerges from the shattering effects of the, of the destruction is pure and holy. Eusebius is typical of how many early church fathers wrote about the shattering effects of war and persecution, as well as the post-traumatic growth that followed. Many of the, fa- many of the fathers focus on the, sin in their, of the, on the sin in their own present age and how judgment purified that sin. The greatest of these was Augustine of Hippo. He bridged the gap between the Pax Romana and the Middle Ages. He lived through the fall of Rome, and his book, City of God, 
set the theological agenda for medieval Christendom. He wrote a considerable amount about war and especially commented on the ethics of war. He has become the primary apologist for jus ad bellum, or justice in war. With his deep understanding of the human experience and failings, he wrote eloquently about war. Let those who have read their history remember how long were the wars waged by Rome in times past, and with what diverse fortunes and grievous disasters they were attended. For the world is liable to be tempest-tossed by such misfortunes, like a storm-swept sea. Augustine likens the shattering effects of war to a storm at sea. Ships are wrecked in storms, and human lives and communities are wrecked in wars. Anyone who experiences or studies war must come to the conclusions of Augustine. That is, that war is long and disastrous, that the world is liable to war. War cannot be excused, but is hardly an unusual event for Augustine. It is clear from his biography that he never participated in one. According to Robert Marr, in his Killing from the Inside Out, Moral Injury and Just War, Augustine's views on war hint that war can be done dispassionately, without bloodlust or rage. If he had been in a war, I assure you, you would, we would be in possession of a 1,500-year-old classic about war, on par with his monumental confessions. When I think about this chapter and the early church fathers, I think of how, how thin this chapter is. There's so much in the early church fathers about war. And I want to commend to you the work of Logan Isaac, his uh, ministry based out of Maryland, uh, deals with some of the early church fathers and a lot of the early church fathers' comments on war. And, some of the things he's pointed out to me about Augustine, I wish I had talked to him before I wrote this book, is that Augustine wrote several letters to soldiers during his uh, time as Bishop of Hippo. And they're very different from the way he described war in City of God and the way he uh, talked about Christians' involvement in war in his other works. Uh, the letters that he wrote to the soldiers were extremely pastoral. I'm really thankful for Logan for pointing these out to me and I hope to the rest of Christianity which really brings up the dual uh, stance that churches have always had about war and military service. On the one hand, we have the need to participate in our community. Um, we're certainly not the disciples in Jesus in first century Palestine and Jerusalem. Um, our relationship with our communities is going to be a little different than, than his relationship to his community. And certainly St. Paul's relationship with his community and other uh, New Testament Christians' relationship with the Roman Empire is different from our relationship with the United States government or wherever we find ourselves. And yet, there are some really strong similarities. And Augustine, who is bridging this gap between this, uh, b between really uh, the era in which Christianity was a new official religion of the empire, and still going through birth pangs with that, and then the onslaught of the barbarian invasions of Rome really turned that upside on its head and Christendom or the Roman Empire became extremely embattled, but they rallied around their Christianity. And Augustine is kind of navigating some of this, some of the history in City of God and his other writings about war and describing how awful it is and, and all the things that happen when we go to war for for what we believe are good reasons are often disguised by our baser motives. 
um, and also by our and driven by our lusts and passions, our our desire to dominate others and our desire to take things from others. Uh, so Augustine was very down on those passions, and so he writes about how a Christian soldier should be dispassionate. Which I, when I think about that, how difficult it would be to fight with a spear or a shield. A Roman army at this point had a, a wide variety of of units and cavalry and all sorts of other things, but they were still uh, legionnaire legionaries. Uh, these soldiers that fought with the the rectangular shield and the gladius, the, the two foot sword, uh, that was still the 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 uh, meat and potatoes of the army at that time, and so that is extremely personal. You don't fight Gaul, uh, barbarians in Gaul, or or um, Celts, or anyone else in the northern areas, or um, even folks to the east or or to the to the west. The Pechenegs were very uh, a, 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 a group of people that were uh, harassing the eastern Byzantine emperor, empire, Roman Empire at the same time, and they were a fast-moving uh, steppe tribe that uh, considerable money was dumped into uh, keeping them at bay along the edges of the empire. So there was a lot of fighting, and there was a lot of analysis, but to, to me, to, to be able to fight dispassionately with a sword or a shield, um, most people can't even fight dispassionately um, when they're pushing buttons in a command center on a submarine or something like that, um, even at a great distance, uh, war cannot be done dispassionately. Robert Marr's book, Killing from the Inside Out, is, of course, a, now a classic on moral injury and how this theory of just war, which I learned at chaplain school and heard about in seminary, um, is picked apart at its base level. The quote from St. Basil that, um, you know, that even though the fathers, the church fathers, recognize that homicide and war is different than, like, homicide on the street, they still counseled people to abstain from communion for three years when they left the army. They would go back through the catechumenate because they realized that, that war does something to everyone. It does something to our mor morality, our sense of goodness of who we are. And this sense of goodness is infectious. Our moral injuries are infectious to other people, people that we love, people around us. And so the fathers and St. Basil and others and Augustine recognized that some sort of purification process was necessary after war. And I think there's a lot more work that can be done. Logan Isaac is working on this, um, even now as we speak, working on uh, books to, to, to share with Christianity that, that we've always had this. I'm not, I'm not speaking for him, I'm speaking for myself now, but he's done a great job for, to illuminate for me the complexities of these writings. But the, the truth is that this has always been a struggle for Christianity. How do we, how do we live in our community and participate in it fully and love our neighbor as ourself and protect each other, and follow Jesus, who was crucified by Roman soldiers, who seemed to give up his power just at the moment when he should have, by all secular standards, should have taken that power. So the point of this book is not to set out some grand Christian ethic, but to show that uh, Holy Scripture, the Church Fathers, were a lot more realistic about what war does to people, and about what and what uh, what situations bring war to bear on human societies a lot more than than I hear around me today by by uh, by Christians who seem to be able to to stay away from the real uh, the real issues by retreating to places that are safe uh, from having to actually step foot into the arena and this is the the struggle of all life and I I tend to like to stay out of the phrase of our 
world. Every once in a while, I, I get into them and I realize like there's there's some gospel in this. There's some real good news in every situation, but there's also some really heavy burdens. And I'm my, my, by taking on those burdens, I'm not sure that's always a good thing for us to do. But I think on this issue, people that have been to war and participated in war, which everyone has in our society to some degree or another, we've participated. Uh, we need to tell the truth about what that experience is like. I try to do that in this book. I hope you can get the book and uh, get back to me on what you think of it and share it with a friend. Uh, share this podcast with a friend if you think it's uh, something worth listening to. And so we can share the story. There's a much more nuanced story in Christianity. Uh, I think churches err on one side or the other. Either we're standing up on the pulpit on Sunday morning with a giant American flag, waving it back and forth and bowing down to uh, to, to veterans and soldiers and making a big deal out of that. Or we are silent, never once mentioning any sort of participation in our national life as if we're embarrassed about that American flag that's been put back in the closet somewhere. And the embarrassment of our participation is another, I think, extreme view that, that I'm trying to avoid. And I try to encourage churches to find a way to, to be faithful to the Christian tradition, which is a, a, a fairly nuanced one. We've had about 2,000 years to reflect on these issues of how do we participate in our society around us. We've got some really good stuff written on it and different reactions to it. And hopefully this book will um, be a source for people to start a journey. We're going to look at the reformers next week and some of their thoughts about war and how they participated in the wars of their day. So I hope you can um, share this with those who are in the biz. If, if you know someone that's in the military to share this with, or you know someone that's served their time, or someone that loves them, I hope you uh, share this message with them. Because the church is here for you. And we are to bring everything to God, no matter what that is, no matter uh, all those experiences that we've had, uh, things that we were, are proud of and things that we're not so proud of. We need to bring those things to God. And I can assure you the church is here for you to, for you to bring those things to God through the church. That's what um, saved me when I came home from Iraq was a church that welcomed me, a church that offered me communion with God and with them that offered me welcome and friendship, and also in some ways left me alone so I could take my own journey home from war. We don't want to prescribe anyone's journey for them. A journey is something you've got to take on your own two feet. And so I'm thankful for those people that walked with me and accompanied me on my pilgrimage home from war. And some of you are listening to this right now, and you've done this for me, and I'm going to thank you for doing that. But until next time, we're going to next time we're going to look at the Protestant reformers and the shattering effects of war and how that plays out in our life today.